So if you would, turn with me to Psalm 95. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. When I was a senior in high school, the Rotary Club in my hometown had this tradition that throughout the school year on Fridays, they would invite three boys from the senior class every Friday to the Rotary meeting. And the Rotary meeting was held at Whitting's Restaurant, which is no longer there in, in my hometown in Yoakum, but at the time had the best chicken fried steak I'd ever had. And so that was my standard meal. I'd try to get it at least once a week if I could. We had an open campus, so I'd save up my lunch money. I'd go usually on game day or something. We'd get a chicken fried steak and mashed potatoes and, and fried okra and rolls and cream gravy. And I remember what it was like to eat that way. That was fun, wasn't it? Um, wish I could eat that way now. But so the Rotary would, would invite us and we would come and we'd, we'd get up and we'd uh, tell who we were and our parents and, and then what we plan to do after high school. And this was sort of, I mean, the Rotary in my hometown was a lot of the town fathers. They were the people who were on city council, people who owned businesses. They, they were the leaders of the city and so they wanted us to, they wanted to know what the young men of the community were up to. Um, and I remember the, the day that I went, one of the other boys that went with us was a guy named Bruce. And Bruce was a friend. I still know him. He's a good guy. He played football on our football team with me. And, and uh, he made a faux pas that morning because he got up and he said, yeah, my name's Bruce. And he said his mom and dad's name. And he said, you know, I don't know what I want to do after high school. I just know I don't want to live in Yoakum the rest of my life. <laughs> that was the wrong thing to say. And, then, and, and there was this dead silence. And then somebody in the back said, well, it ain't that bad, you know. And I felt bad for Bruce, but he was right. He never went back to Yoke. I mean, he lives in Houston now. But the other thing I remember about that day is after we had eaten the chicken fried steak and, and before the meeting started, they passed out these songbooks. And I remember exactly the title of the songbooks was Sing, Rotarian, Sing. And by the way, if you're in Rotary, I'm not making fun of you. I think it's a great organization. If you're in Lions Club or Knights of Columbus or whatever. But... but they, they passed out the songbooks, and I flipped through them, and they were, they were songs about, uh, about you know, patriotism. There were some old folk songs like Yankee Doodle Dandy and Home on the Range, and they were all familiar-sounding songs. And the guy got up at the piano, and he said, okay, let's sing number 400, and, and we turned to that, and we sang, and we sang a couple more, and then they got down to the business of the meeting. And I remember thinking, I was 17 years old, I remember thinking, why are we singing? What is, what's the meaning of this? This isn't, I mean, we're, it's sort of like church, but we're not worshiping God, and at the time it just felt like, well, this must just be something they do, just because they've always done. And it occurred to me, even at 17, I thought, I wonder how many people feel that way when they come to church for the first time. That we come in and we sit down and the first thing we do is we start singing songs. And I bet they wonder, why are we singing? I mean, is, is God that insecure that He needs to hear us say nice things about Him and make Him feel better? Does he need to be serenaded in order to boost his self-esteem? And I know, I know there are people here right now, if, if you were honest, you'd stand up and say, yeah, honestly, I don't know why we sing. I, I, I come here Sundays and I wish we'd just get on to the information part. That's why I came. And then there are others that are on the opposite end of the spectrum, probably the majority who would say, no, I love, I love singing. And some of us have very strong opinions about about what we like, and, and we judge uh, our worship service based on whether we got to sing the songs we really liked or, or not. And, but what does the Bible actually say about singing and worship? 
you'll be surprised to find out it has a lot to say. And I want to start, there are actually five things I want to talk about this morning about what the Scriptures say about worship, about singing. And I want to start with the most important one, the most important reason why we should sing in, in church. Number one is because we're commanded to sing. We should sing because the Bible says so. 250 times in the Bible we're told to praise God. And over half of those times, specifically, it says to sing His praise. And so to not sing is to disobey a command of God. And you might say, well, wait a second. You're, are you telling me that if I don't sing in church, I'm sinning? I didn't say that. I said that it's commanded over a hundred times that you should sing praise to God. And I'm also saying that if you don't obey the commands of God, it's a sin. So you can do the math, okay? <laughs> I had a friend uh, who never sang in church. And I noticed this because he was a head taller than anybody else I knew. So he stood out. And I always wondered. I always figured, well, he's not singing because he's a typical man and he thinks that singing's just not very masculine. Even though the guy who wrote most of the songs in Scripture, King David, could probably kill any man in this room with his bare hands. So it's, it's not a question of masculinity. And I asked him one day, why don't you sing? And he said, no, no, I like singing. It's just that my wife and my daughters think I have a terrible voice. And they've asked me not to sing. It embarrasses them. And I wish I had thought to tell him this at the time, but Psalm 100, I mean, one of the more famous psalms begins with the words, make a joyful noise to the Lord all you lands. It doesn't say sing beautifully to the Lord. It doesn't say hit the right pitch or the right, the right note. It says make a joyful noise. That in the, in the more modern translations, it says, it, says, um, it says shout for joy to the Lord. In our, our, our text right here, it says, Psalm 95, verse 1, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are His people, the sheep of His pasture, the flock under His care. So you notice right at the beginning it says, come, sing for joy to the Lord, and then it says, let us shout aloud. Both there and in Psalm 100, it mentions a loud noise. And literally, the word means a sound that splits the ear in Hebrew. And I guarantee you, the worst singer in this room can qualify for a sound that splits the ear. You might be sitting right next to someone who can make a sound that splits the ear, and they probably did a few minutes ago, and that's okay. Let me make this clear. If you want to be, there, there is a place, there is a place for people who sing really well. If you want to be in this choir that's sitting behind me, you need to be able to sing. You need to be able to carry a tune because they make a beautiful sound, not just a joyful noise. They make a beautiful sound. If you want to sing as part of this worship team that's right behind me, you need to be able to sing well. And Robert and Nathan are going to hold you to that, and I think they should. That's part of their job. But for those of us who sit out in the pews, the bar is quite a bit lower. I had a friend that was a music minister, and he used to tell us if... if if you can't sing well, at least sing loud. And I love that. That should be our mentality. We should just sing. And if your husband or your wife embarrasses you, get over it. Because this is our opportunity to sing. Because God has commanded us to sing. 
Second reason, second reason we should sing is because it is the easiest and surest way to learn the Word of God. This is how we ingrain God's Word in our hearts. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of God dwell in you richly, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Notice it says that singing is going to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I've learned that myself. I, I have to confess to you, I'm not good at memorizing Scripture. And I know that will shock some of you. You're going to say, well, but you're a preacher. You should have it all memorized by now, right? But I don't. I've never been good at memorizing Scripture. But I know because of an old Amy Grant song that Psalm 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I know because of a song I learned in vacation Bible school when I was a little kid. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Alleluia. Alleluia. Right? And there are a lot of songs like that that quote directly from the Scriptures. We're going to sing one in just a moment, but there are many, many hundreds more that may not quote directly from the Scriptures, but they say truths that are found in the Scriptures. They teach you truths and doctrines that are going to be exactly what you need. And, and they will come to your mind long before anything that I say will come to your mind. Let me just say, I, I love preaching. I think preaching is important. And, and yet, I've heard hundreds of songs, uh, hundreds of sermons in my life, probably thousands of sermons, actually. I don't remember many of them. I have a hard time remembering what I preached last Sunday. But I still remember songs I learned when I was a little boy. All the words, the tune, I could stand up and sing it before you. I'm not, but I could. Because of those songs, I know things that have been some of the most important truths of my life. I know, for instance, because of music, because of singing songs to the Lord, I know that Jesus was born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. I know that living He loved me, dying He saved me, buried He carried my sins far away. I know that because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul was counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. I know that up from the grave He arose with a mighty triumph for His foes. I know that He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. I know that I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I know that when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy will fill my heart. And then I will bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great Thou art. And I know that I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by His side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when His face is before me. See, these songs and hundreds more come to my mind in moments when I need them most. Days when I'm down or days when I'm fearful or days when I'm confused, they come to me and they liberate me from the darkness, from the discouragement, from the lies, from the selfishness, from all the things that steer me away from God. And I would be so much poorer if I never sang. I just relied on my own cognition, my own brain to remember this stuff. But God puts it in the music and it stays up there. And it's wonderful. We sing so we can learn the Word of God through song. 
So we should sing because God told us to, and we should sing because it ingrains God's Word in our hearts, but there's a third reason why the Scripture says we should sing, and that's because singing brings us together. Singing takes people who are very different and makes them one. And I want to, I want to show you one Scripture that's very similar to the one we just read. Ephesians 5.19 talks about this. It says, Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. A couple of things about that Scripture I want you to see. First of all, notice it says, Speak to one another. Now, that's unusual because when we first read that, we think, wait, aren't we singing to God? We're not singing to each other, are we? Well, yes and no. Yes, we're singing to God. We're, he is our audience, period. You're certainly not singing to impress me or anybody up here. You're singing to the Lord. But we're also singing to each other in this sense. When we come into worship, most of what we do is pretty passive. The sermon, for instance, is a passive time. If this were a black church, it'd be different. You know, that's a very active time in the black church. But yeah, that's right. But in, but in, the, but in our church, in a lot of Anglo churches, it's, it's, it's time y'all sit and I talk, and that's just how we're used to things. But singing is a shared event. By the way, if y'all want to get black church on me, that's okay. I, I'd be all right with that. But, but during the song service, during the, during the portion of the time when we're singing, we're doing something together. By the way, that's one of the reasons why we usually stand to sing. That's an opportunity for us to engage, get off the pew and, and engage. And I realize um, it's possible to sing sitting. In fact, we're going to do that in just a moment. I realize for some of you, standing that long is difficult, and so you go ahead and sit down, or you may never stand at that point. That's okay. It gives, it gives other people the opportunity, though, that, to put their whole self into the singing of those songs of praise. And, and so the thing is, as we're singing together, we're very different people. I don't know if you know this, but everybody in this room doesn't think the same way on basically anything. We have different priorities and preferences and different, uh, different points of view, different backgrounds, different problems. But when we're together, singing together, we all agree in song that He is forever seated on His throne. He is forever God and God alone. That brings us together. And there's a second thing. Notice it says, speak to one another in what? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, why does he say that? Why doesn't he just say, speak to one another in songs about God? Why does he mention three different kinds? Because here's the thing. Psalms were from the book of the Bible called the Psalms, the longest book in Scripture, basically the hymn book that Jesus used. Those were written hundreds of years before Jesus lived. Hymns and spiritual songs were songs that had been written since Jesus walked the earth. So they'd been written in the last 30 years when Paul was writing this letter. What Paul was saying was, sing the old songs and sing the new songs. Sing them both. Speak to one another in both. Isaac Watts wrote a hymn in 1707. It's just about the oldest hymn we still sing in American churches these days, in Baptist churches at least. The title of the hymn was, We're Marching to Zion. Anybody know that song? We're marching to Zion. Thank you. There you go. Exactly. And, and he's got a line in that song that I love. Now, Watts wrote it in 1707, so that's 300 years ago, if I did my math correctly. And there was something going on in the churches in, in England at that time. There was, there was a real worship controversy because typically up to that point, English-speaking churches had sung only psalms. They had taken books, you know, psalms out of the book of Psalms, and they had set them to music, and that's all they sang. And then here lately, men like Isaac Watts had come along, and they'd written 
uh, hymns like When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And those were becoming very popular. And there were people in the churches that loved those new hymns. And there were people in the churches that were like, no, 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 those are man-made hymns. We can't sing those. That's wrong. And so there was this argument back and forth. And so what a lot of churches would do is they would say, okay, we're going to sing psalms at the early part of the worship service. And then we'll have preaching. And after that, at the end of the sermon, we'll have the man-made hymns. And those of you who don't like them can just leave or you can just stand there and not participate. So Isaac Watts wrote the following line in We're Marching to Zion. You probably know this. Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God, but children of the heavenly king will speak their joys abroad. Watts was not subtle, was he? <laughs> if you ain't singing, you don't know my God, is what he was saying. And what, the reason I tell you that story is because I want you to see that this idea that there's new songs and old songs, and, and some people say, well, I only like the old stuff, and some people say, well, only the new stuff is good. That isn't a new controversy. That was going on 300 years ago. That, I dare say, was probably going on in the time Paul wrote this book and why he said to the Ephesians, sing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I know that you might say to me, well, why can't we just, why can't we just sing the songs that I like? Let me, let me just say it this way. There, we, we've been blessed with hundreds of years of great hymns. And I grew up with a lot of those hymns. And a lot of you who grew up in Baptist churches, like this one or others, you grew up with those hymns too. And so when you sing them, it reminds you of your upbringing. It reminds you of when you first came to know the Lord. It reminds you of the people who taught you about Christ. It also gives you the sense of connection with the people hundreds of years before Christians who, from other cultures who've gone before us. And it's beautiful. And I love it, and I, I never want to stop singing those songs. On the other hand, there, God didn't stop inspiring gifted musicians to write great songs about Him 50 years ago. He's still doing it. And there are people, a lot of them younger than me, but not all, and a lot of them who didn't grow up in Baptist churches, but not all, who they connect with God more authentically through those new songs than they do through the old ones. It just, it's speaking their language. And I'm one of those people too. That's what I listen to in my car or when I'm jogging. And so one of the things I love about this church is most churches that I've been around say, okay, we're going to choose one of those two and we're going to stick with it. And if you don't like it, go somewhere else. This church is blessed enough and has enough talent that we can do an outstanding traditional worship service. I mean, amazing, the best you'll ever be in. And we can also do an excellent service that incorporates newer music too and newer styles, and that is able to reach out to those people who didn't grow up the way I did. And it brings all those generations and all those cultures together in one body, one church. And I think that's beautiful. Singing brings us together. And I think we should be committed to doing both styles as well as we can. And that's what we're doing. Singing brings us together, and that makes God very, very happy. Number four, fourth reason why we should sing, because singing to God brings joy to our lives. Singing to God brings joy to our lives. Psalm 511 says, Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. If you read the Scriptures, you'll see several, and I told you there are hundreds of commands to sing to, to God, sing praise to God, and a lot of them mention joy. And we've looked at two of them, in fact. This is one. Does that mean that because you're joyful, you should sing? Or does that mean that 
singing makes you joyful. I think it means both, honestly. I think it means both. Um, in fact, I have learned, this is just me, but I think it's a universal truth if you'll try it. I have learned that you can't sing praise to God and stay in a bad mood. And I've tried it. I mean, I've been, I've been down in the dumps and, and somebody, you know, come to, come to worship and start singing and pretty soon I'm not down in the dumps anymore. In fact, do an experiment. The next time you're in a bad mood, next time you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, maybe your spouse or your best friend will tell you when that is, okay? And just say, okay, well, I'm going to sing hymns for 10 minutes and just see what happens. And I guarantee you, you may want to stay in a bad mood because that's kind of fun, isn't it? It's its own perverse kind of pleasure to, to wallow in your own little pit of self-pity. But you can't do it anymore if you're singing praise to God. It just lifts you out of that. There's a story in Acts 16 that shows how contagious that kind of joy is. Acts 16 tells the story of Paul and Silas, and they're preaching the gospel in the town of Philippi, and they get arrested and they, they, the, the Philippian jailer there beats them with rods, beats them until they're bloody, and then locks their hands and feet in stocks. So they're basically immobilized and then throws them in a jail cell. And so Paul and Silas have more reason than you and I will ever have to feel sorry for themselves. They're, they're arrested for no crime. They're beaten until they're bloody. They're locked in an uncomfortable position and, and stuck in jail like convicts. But instead of pouting, Acts 16 says they began to sing. And so the other prisoners are able to hear them singing and the jailer who just beat them is able to hear them singing. And then long about midnight, a miracle happened and God sent deliverance and there was this earthquake and their stocks broke off their arms and legs and the jail door swung open and the jailer who had been listening to them sing just a few minutes before came running into their cell and he fell at their, knee, at, at their feet and he said, how can I be saved? And that very night, that man and his family were all baptized in the name of Jesus, and they became part of that church, the Church of Philippi, alongside Lydia and her family. They were the founding members of that new congregation. And years later, Paul would be in prison again, and he would write a letter to that church, to the Philippian church. And if you read the letter to the Philippians, you'll find it's the most joyful book of the entire Bible. Because when we sing, we spread joy. It doesn't just make our hearts joyful, it spreads that joy abroad. It makes everyone happier. You know, the title of my sermon, I Sing for I Cannot Be Silent, that's a line from an old hymn called Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It. It was written by a lady named Fanny Crosby. Some of you know this. Fanny Crosby is the world record holder. In fact, here's some good trivia for you. World record holder, most hymns ever written. She was also blind. Blind from the age of about one or two. There was an accident when she was very small and she never saw again. And if you read the hymns of Fanny Crosby, in fact, do this sometime, Google it. Read her hymns, and I've never found a single one of her hymns that doesn't have some reference to sight or vision. Someone asked her one time, Ms. Crosby, aren't you praying that your, your eyes will be cured someday? And she said, not really, because the way it is now, the first sight I will ever see is the face of my Savior. This is a woman who life had dealt a bad hand to, but she sang. And she wrote those songs down and it's brought joy to millions of people ever since. One more thing. One more reason we should sing. We'll be singing to God forever. We will be singing to God forever. And so what we do here on Sunday morning is dress rehearsal for eternity. Why not get some practice? Why not get a sneak preview? I mean, the Bible is quite clear about this. 
Revelation, as you know, is the last book of the Bible. And you know it's a book about judgment. It's a book about the second coming of Christ and Him establishing a new world, ruling forever. A lot of people don't realize how musical the book of Revelation is. I'm going to preach on Revelation, Lord willing, this year, uh, starting the Sunday after Easter and on into the summer. So get all geared up, gird up your loins. We're going to head into, head into Revelation, invite your friends. It's going to be good, I hope. What you might be surprised about when you read it, if you haven't read it in a while or never read it, is how many songs there are in Revelation. Revelation is the record of the Apostle John as an old man going into, you know, getting a, a surprise visit to the throne room of heaven. And he heard song after song there. Angels were singing to God. Elders gathered around the throne were singing praise to God. A big heavenly choir made up of every nation, every language, every race was singing praise to God. Here's the song, one of the songs they sang. It's Revelation 5.12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I don't know how to sing that, but I will someday. And so will you if you're in Christ. Why do they sing in heaven? That's not all we'll do there. The Bible's quite clear for all eternity. There's going to be worship. There's going to be rest. There's going to be celebration. There's going to be work to do. Good work. Work you'll enjoy. Work you're created for. But we'll also sing. We'll also sing. And, and I just happen to believe that since I'm going to have a new body and my body's going to be perfect, my vocal cords will be perfect and my voice will sound good. And you'll actually want to hear me sing. But why do they sing in heaven? And that verse says, because He is worthy. They sing to Him because He's worthy. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He, he talks about how if you really enjoy something, if you admire something, if you see something remarkable, something of, of admiration and beauty, you want to talk about it. You want to tell others about it. You go and you eat a good meal, you're going to want to tell somebody, man, this is good. If you hear a good story, you're going to want to tell it to someone else. You hear a really good joke, you're going to want to repeat it. If you see a beautiful sunset or a sunrise, you're going to say something about it. You're not going to keep it to yourself. This is why a man who's in love wants to say good things about his wife. He wants to tell her how beautiful she is and how smart and how great because it completes his enjoyment of her. His enjoyment isn't complete until he has expressed it. And so those in heaven right now, all the time, they behold the greatest thing in the universe, the most majestic, the most beautiful, the most wonderful thing anybody's ever seen, and they can't help but sing praise. And someday we'll be in that position too. And we'll sing praise for the exact same reason. But you know what? We'll have a, a, a whole nother reason. Angels of God sing praise because they behold the glory of God, and it's the greatest thing in the universe. But we'll have a reason to sing praise to God that they don't have. We won't just sing praise because He's worthy. We'll sing praise because He was slain. See, Jesus didn't die for angels. He died for us. Jesus gave His life for our sins because He knew there was no other way for us to get there. And someday, if you're in Christ, someday you will stand in the presence of the most majestic, most beautiful, most awesome thing you've ever seen in your life and you will recognize right from the start, from the very instant you breathe heavenly air, you'll realize, 
I don't deserve to be here. I shouldn't be here. There is no reason on earth or heaven for me to be in this place. It's only, only, only because the one who is worthy gave his life for me. Traded places with me so I could be here. So he could be where I was so I could be where he is. And when you experience for the first and final time that the full extent of grace that you've heard about all your life and, and pondered and, and praised, but now finally you'll taste the full extent of that grace. There will be no question you're going to sing. And it won't be com compelled. It'll be you won't be able to stop yourself. You will, you will long to sing. You'll never want to stop. 